Welcome back to another episode of Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology. In this episode, I talk with Dan Miller about the slogan, Black Lives Matter. I'm joined today with Dan Miller. Dan is the lead pastor at Eden Baptist Church in Burnsville. He's been serving there for over 30 years. And the reason I wanted to talk with Dan here is because both Josh and I did an internship at Eden and got to know Dan well there and and received a lot of wisdom and encouragement. And as we're trying to talk about different areas of the Bible and theology, especially as it relates to our life now, we want to talk about what's really a category of theology called anthropology, which is what it means to be human, the study of humanity. And we believe that we need to do this biblically, so we speak in terms of a biblical anthropology. And so it's appropriate to talk about the issues surrounding us from a biblical perspective and i've been encouraged to hear dan do that in a couple of different areas and so most particularly i want to talk about this phrase black lives matter and the various responses that we see on social media and in person in the hundreds of emails i've gotten from any company i've ever signed up with saying that they support black lives and that black lives matter So before I ask you, Dan, how you're thinking about this and how you've encouraged others to, I just want to clarify that there's a difference between the movement Black Lives Matter and a phrase Black Lives Matter. So the movement was founded, I think, six years ago, and they support some things that we can support as well, which is freedom justice, these sort of ideas, but they're also pursuing it in a way that we would say is counterintuitive to their actual aims. And so they speak of a desire to break apart the nuclear family Mm -hmm. and to really support uh, trans people and these different sexual orientations and desires that we would look at from a biblical perspective and say that's antithetical to humanity and flourishing and so this diminishing of fatherhood this diminishing of the family and diminishing of male and female marriages is really actually more destructive than positive and so we want to be clear we're not talking about this movement we're, we're talking instead about a phrase And we might be concerned that the phrase and the movement overlap. Um, I was encouraged reading an article on Christianity, uh, Christianity Today, where a professor was writing an article and just reporting a study that most of the people using that phrase actually don't know anything about the movement connected to it. And so we don't want to assume that they're the same. So with that groundwork, how do we think biblically about this phrase? How should Christians respond to it? Yeah, it's, it's as many things in our society, there's kind of two ways of hearing the same thing. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, one of the problems with Black Lives Matter. Because from a biblical standpoint, as we look at black lives, they matter. Uh, they are All people are made in the image of God. We share that equally. 
uh, as I've stressed with our church around the throne, uh, white-skinned people will be a minority. Hmm. And we serve a, a Savior who was truly human and born of the seed of David. He was Middle Eastern. So we, we're, we, the idea that uh, Jesus is white or something like that is not even biblically accurate. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense in which uh, understanding that, that all lives matter, all black people are made in the image of God just as any white person is. And so in that sense, uh, we honor the purpose of the creator. We honor the dignity of a human being made in God's image, no matter who they are, no matter how they look. And these these kinds of divisions that make so much sense to us or, or so obvious to us are really just so much folly mm-hmm. from God's standpoint. He's made all people and uh, the different skin tones and ethnicities are matters that are um, more unifying than they are divisive in God's mind. But in our mind, we can make it very divisive. But back to your point with, uh, as we think of that biblically, we want to always say black lives matter. And I always stress the interpretation too. Black lives matter too. We're not saying that no other lives matter, Mm -hmm. but all equally. But I think we should not take the phrase, generally speaking, as only black lives matter. It's not really right for us to interpret it that way. But I think really and particularly for those that are in white majority to just say black lives matter too. And yes, we would agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. But to the other side, uh, the political side, as you've brought up, I think it's important to recognize each of these ideas that as a political movement, Black Lives Matter is not ordered toward God's design and will. And that is very clear. And some have taken a lot of heat by speaking against the uh, philosophy of Black Lives Matter as a political movement. And I think that's really a shame because we should be able to argue ideas. And Black Lives Matter is not hiding in the weeds. They put out there what they believe, and as you said, it's very pro-transgender, it's very pro-homosexual, it, is, uh, it, it speaks ill of the nuclear family. And I think in part, we know that uh, black culture, there's a struggle there. And I think anyone saying that there's not a struggle with the nuclear family in black communities just is not aware of, of reality. There is a serious struggles and difficulties this way uh, as I mentioned, I worked with uh, young black men for three years on the streets of Minneapolis, very close to where some of the recent troubles have taken place, and never met one that lived with his father. Hmm. That's, that's a problem. It's something that we want to help address, not ignore. But Black Lives Matter not only ignores it, it seeks to make it normal, to normalize it. So we have to recognize that. Another thing, too, is that the founder of Black Lives Matter was recently interviewed, and they were questioning whether or not she really had an agenda. Was it, is it just about complaining, or do you actually have an agenda? And pushed into the corner on that, she made it clear that we are highly schooled Marxists. Hmm. Now, Marxism, capitalism uh, are, are less of an issue than people made in the image of God. It's an economic philosophy. Mm-hmm. But with that economic philosophy of Marxism comes a whole a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. A lot of different things come with it. 
so it, we, we need to recognize that as Black Lives Matter is stirring up controversy and seeking to talk through various matters that are in front of them, there's an agenda behind it. And that's what we, we need to, this is a matter of fidelity to Christ. If we buy into the political system of Black Lives Matter, we're really tracking in a direction that is opposed to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we cannot do that. That all being said, I think it's just important that each Christian is equipped with the capacity to differentiate between the political agenda of Black Lives Matter as a movement and the phrase Black Lives Matter as a commitment to the equal importance of all people made in the image of God, no matter their ethnicity. Yeah, yeah so I, I think there's then a call to both discernment, to discern between a movement and a right impulse right. to speak on behalf of those who perhaps are enduring through a, a kind of pain and suffering right now, as well as a call to charity to look at someone posting the hashtag Black Lives Matter and not immediately assuming either that they're Marxist, you know, anti-God right. individuals or necessarily that everything there is commendable, but to think Black Lives Matter also they matter too they matter as well and so we respond graciously and in support truth where truth is that's right and I, I suspect a lot of people using this phrase are not in support of the political agenda mm -hmm. if they even know what it is they're simply responding to concerns that they have that are legitimate concerns and i think it's important that we read the context who's speaking how much do they know where are they tracking and not just judge them immediately as someone who is is off track mm -hmm. they may be confused they may only be speaking on a very surface level about the idea not the political movement i think it's yeah. important that we discern that Good. so in in a social media age maybe we can describe our world that way yeah, yeah. i know you're not active <laughs> on social media but I think there's a way that virtue signaling is just more pronounced mm -hmm. to where um, you maybe even almost feel obligated to post a Facebook status just to identify and, and put the hashtag Black Lives Matter or whatever response you think is appropriate to that Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter what, how, how should Christians think about this social media world our words and how that relates to actually pursuing truth, justice, goodness, beauty in real life. Yeah, I, I think that particularly at the beginning, there's this very strong emotional move to make your position known, to stand up for what's right. And there, there's obviously some good in that. But there's also some great dangers. I think we speak too quickly. We don't speak patiently. We don't speak as to where things are headed. And social media does not, it's not calibrated to patience. Mm -hmm. It's calibrated to say what's on your mind, what you're feeling at the moment, and just let it go. But I, I do think all believers should really think carefully about patience and take some time. We don't need to speak too quickly. 
uh, and, and immediately. But I, I think too, then I would just suggest rather than taking lines that, that um, identify us with a particular position, maybe better to just speak biblically and to think biblically. So rather than a Black Lives Matter line, it may just be wiser to say all are made in the image of God or something like that, but just to speak in biblical terms so that we don't get kind of pulled into the vortex of the political war. Uh, we, we are about something much higher than that mm-hmm. as citizens of God's kingdom and knowing that all of the justice that is served through the movement of these days is not going to count for much at the throne of Christ or count for anything if people uh, lose their soul. So we, we want to keep the big picture in view here, and that's not to identify with a political movement or a mm-hmm. particular position on recent events, but the larger point is to identify with Christ crucified and risen and the final accounting that we all have before him. Yeah. And that reminds me a little bit of books that you read that you read once and they're good in a particular moment in history and they'll never be picked up again. Yeah. And then books that are more deeply rooted and you can just read over and over. And maybe our language is like that a little yeah. bit yeah. to where the Black Lives Matter phrase has value because it's communicating something true but it only has value because of the truths of the image of God that humanity is created in and who God, what God is doing to redeem that humanity throughout time. Right. And this is one of the challenges always in these things. When people see, I would even say with transgender, what people are seeing there is I need to be different. Mm-hmm. There's even an element of truth in something so against God's creative design. And so it is with Black Lives Matter and injustice. We are seeing something very real there. Unbelievers can see injustice. They can see the sin of hatred in the heart. And and I think on some level we need to rejoice and far better that there is the upheaval there is about injustice than that we all supported injustice mm-hmm. or that or that a majority of people supported injustice. The problem is, is that the unbelieving mind might see sin and its consequences, but they don't call it that. Mm -hmm. And then they don't come up with the right solution. So the solutions are so often as broken as the problem. Mm -hmm. But at least we do recognize people see injustice and Mm -hmm. that is good that they do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's communicated through this phrase in a a lot of ways. Right, right. So then to kind of take the next step as Christians, we don't want to, I think we're, we have to think carefully and then we have to respond rightly to reality and, and follow God's direction there. And so I think of a verse like 1 John 3 something, 318 probably, uh, love not in word or in speech but in action and in truth. Or I think in the King James, as I memorized it, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so we do want to love with our speech. And I think saying things, you know, this uh, speaking up is probably good as far as it goes, but 
words are powerful, but they are only as powerful as the action that follows it. And so how should we as Christians go beyond simply affirming the sanctity of human life, regardless of skin color, to action Mm. wherever we find ourselves? Yeah, and I, I don't feel particularly qualified to answer that. It's certainly a difficult question. Uh, but I do think that we should try to look long, not just look at the moment. There, there's a lot of things that can be done in the moment that are driven by emotion and by just the, the experience of the day. But I think that it's important that we look long and strive to say, what, what difference can I truly make over the long haul? Uh, if, if, if you're moved to go down to... Uh, South Minneapolis and help clean up businesses, great. Um, That's not going to last forever. So I don't mean to say that something like that is wrong uh, at all, but take the long look. Because what I fear is that some businesses are going to be restored, order's going to be restored. They're working hard at not restoring order, uh, it seems, in the moment in some ways. But I, I think it will. I think things will will probably uh, correct themselves to some degree. There will be order that's restored and businesses rebuilt. Then what? Mm-hmm. And, and so often, the way the world works, and maybe the way even just with social media, the way that it works, it's the next hot thing. And we'll be on to something else soon. And I, I know that, I don't mean by that, that injustice and uh, our relationship with the black community in Minnesota is going to go away, but it goes under the surface. So what I'm thinking here is that Christians need to look long and say, there's the moment and there's all of this energy, but where is it heading? Mm-hmm. And how can I give myself to making a difference in this world over the long haul? And I think that it depends somewhat on the community you're in. Mm-hmm. I think there's a higher calling in some communities that are, that are very diverse. Uh, we can't uh, live exactly the same way in communities that are far more white majority population. Or, or we might even live differently if we're in a situation that's, that's nearly 100% Hispanic or Asian or something like that. So I think the, the context has to be considered. And then where we are in a context that's not highly diverse, there I think it's a matter of seeking out and finding uh, who is that neighbor that's, that's an ethnic minority, whether black or, or, or other, but who are those people that may naturally be disenfranchised or in some way minimized by our culture? Mm-hmm. I, I, think we, I think it's wise for all of us to seek them out uh, and to personally meet with them, bring them to our homes, get to know them, interact with them. That's where long haul over time I can actually probably make more of a difference than simply being involved politically for the moment. Good. You've you've talked often about the fifty one percent rule in a church. Can you can you just quickly explain your your thoughts there and how not just as individual citizens and neighbors, but as a, an assembly? I think our the church here is 
predominantly Caucasian, seconded by Asian. And so we, for a small church, maybe would check the right boxes in some ways, but how, how does that 51% idea flesh itself out? Uh, help me out if, here. If I'm remembering, <laughs> yeah. maybe we talked about this like a year ago. Okay. So it's a, maybe yeah. a little bit I might, long. Yeah, um, I may not be tracking with you. With, with In respect to this issue? With respect to a church that's predominantly white welcoming those who don't look like everybody else. Oh, there. yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think there there is... A need to assess yourself where you are. I, honestly, there's some churches that don't need to be concerned about this matter nearly as much because they're very highly diverse. And so they want to just be thoughtful and be working with each one. And some do so very successfully. But where you are in a situation where particular, let's just focus on white majority because that's probably the, the larger issue. There's other matters to consider when you are 90% Asian, let's say, mm-hmm. as a church or something like that. But just sticking with white majority, I think it is important for us uh, as white majority Christians in a church to recognize that there is a certain um, capacity that we have, uh, a culture that is calibrated more toward us in some ways, both historically and then also just by way of dominant culture. In that situation, as minorities come into our church, they can feel very isolated. They can come in with the question, am I welcome here? Now, if I go into a white church, I have that question, right? Am I going to be welcome here? But it's very different when I add to that I am a minority as far as my ethnic identity. That's just right, that's on top of the questions that any white person would ask walking into a a majority white church. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's important that as minorities come in among us uh, as a white majority church, that we reach out to them uniquely and let them know that they are welcome. That welcome, by God's grace, is there for everybody that walks in into the doors of our churches. We want to welcome them and say, you're made in the image of God. You matter. We care for you. We welcome you here uh, and the like. But I don't think it's wrong for us to think a bit differently about those who come in that are not like the majority because they're going to feel uh, far more self-conscious and it's, it's right for us to work, to help them work out of that self-consciousness and say, you matter, you matter to God, you matter to us, and we welcome you here. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good way of looking at it because it, pro- probably on some level we've all entered into a place not knowing whether or not we belong. Right. So I think of a few years ago, the first time I walked into a gym to sign up for a membership. I realized that post-marriage, the food had been great, but it just stuck (laughs) with me. And so I had to do something about it. Well, I'm walking into a gym. I've never walked into a place where you pay to work out before. (laughs) And it's just like, what what do I do here? Everything's so foreign to me. And that made me think that's probably true 
just for just about anybody walking into a church building who hasn't been there before, and especially for someone who's coming from a different cultural context, whether that's as an immigrant or in just a various diverse communities in the cities where people come from. And so I think the posture of welcoming all, but we kind of pick up, you know, the gym workers picked up on this guy had, has not been in a gym. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can pick up when someone feels out of place right. and right. we can act to be extra welcoming. Yeah, and I think, th- I think the idea that I can relate to that person exactly the way I'd relate to a white visitor, I think it's just not thinking carefully mm-hmm. enough. I think I have to go a little bit deeper and work a little bit harder because of the hurdles that are there naturally, which aren't there with uh, another white person visiting in a church that's mostly white. Yeah. Well, the final the final thing I want to hit here is to maybe reflect on our finiteness, our limitedness in our capacity. I think the the message often comes across in through social media and otherwise that we're bigger influencers than we actually are. Mm-hmm. And that places a larger responsibility on us than we actually have. And so we spend our energies pursuing that. And we actually avoid the realm that we can actually do anything in our neighborhoods. And so we want to think biblically, theologically. We we are image bearers. And so I think of us having relationship to God, to nature, and to other humans, other image Mm -hmm. bearers. So we Mm -hmm. are to reflect God. We're to care for and rule over nature and we're to do this in service to our common humanity with others mm-hmm. and this is not unique to me i'm reading bovink's reformed ethics and he takes that relationship to humanity and places it on different levels beginning mm-hmm. with the family mm-hmm. and then society so your job your church your neighbors and then he moves it to your nation and in our nation, our state first, and then mm-hmm. our Midwest area, then our, our larger nation, and then globally. Mm-hmm. I think the social media world says you're a global influencer and ignore your family and society responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so we want to hit that. So how, how do we tune out the noise <laughs> that says you're a big person with a lot of influence? Yeah. And how do we just keep our eyes before us uh, loving neighbor, yeah. being who we are in our finiteness. Yeah, I think you've already said it well, but there is a fantasy that is there with social media and the idea that my voice must sound and I will influence others. You'll be lost in the mess of all the other people thinking the same thing. And that's, that is one of the dangers of social media but what what we need to do is is heeding the commands of scripture it is to be faithful day by day with the people that i know now mm-hmm. as i as i seek to expand that circle of influence i may have uh neighbors and maybe one's a minority family and there's three other white families that look somewhat like i do um i don't think it's wrong to go first to that minority family, to meet mm-hmm. them first, maybe to spend a little extra time with them, not because they're more important, but because the challenges are greater. 
the the sense of isolation perhaps or of this world is is opposed to me mm-hmm. is greater and we can maybe shine more light there i wouldn't ignore the white neighbors mm-hmm. i think what we need to do is realize that everybody who lives by me everyone that is in, entering into the circle of my influence every day that's what god's interested in i i can't uh, settle things with the Minneapolis Police Department. Mm-hmm. My squawking about it is going to mean absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. It, it, w- it will mean nothing. And it, I know there's a place to vote and there's a place to write to a, a, a someone in Congress or something like that. But having said that, on a day-by-day basis, it really comes down to the people I know and to the people who I'm choosing to meet. Mm-hmm. And who am I choosing to meet? How am I choosing to influence them? And this is a this is a point of conviction for me. I I I don't feel like I have this nailed. I just I just know I need to keep meeting my neighbors. I need to keep chasing people uh, that in the in the world that we meet and just continue to influence them. I, I so I, in one sense I'm not saying be colorblind mm-hmm. because I'm saying you may want to actually be work extra hard to be accommodating to those that are minorities. But on the other hand, there is a sense in which I shouldn't be a running around targeting people on the basis of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. I should be targeting people on the basis that they're lost. They need Christ as Savior. I have the light. I'm to be light and salt in my world, wherever God's planted me. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm working at uh, Amazon and Shakopee, that's going to mean one thing very differently than it's going to mean at, at some other uh, business where, where everybody looks just like I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will, it will, th- those differences, we need to sense them, say, here's God's calling upon my life. Here's the people he's placed around me. And just be faithful in the circle of influence that he's given me. He will call some to larger circles and some to influence politics, and that's good. But that doesn't have to be you in order for you to be faithful to Christ. It's to be faithful where you are to the people you see. So, so we could say the, the closer your proximity to people, the greater your responsibility is to right. reach them. Yeah. Don't try to manufacture something. Remember that people are more than their skin color, but skin color may bring certain facets of life and and realities to think about. But really love love God, love neighbor wherever your feet go, and and be sensitive to the world around us. Amen. And am I I driven by fear? A lot of times I'm I'm afraid of people who aren't like me. Mm -hmm. Jesus helps us overcome that. And and actually we find great joy in connecting with people who aren't like us. Mm -hmm. So if you sense there's fear down deep inside that just says, I'm just more comfortable talking to my white neighbor than that minority at work, don't let that fear hold you back cross those divides take the gospel where you are but yes just sort of uh, sprout where you're planted kind of thing <laughs> good well thanks Stan, for talking here i it's been helpful to think about these things more and we want to of course be faithful wherever god has us and we don't want to be swept away by just whatever happens to be on a social media feed or on the headline of the day so this has been grounding so thanks for for helping us out. Thank here. you. Joy to be with you.